At the Foot of the Cross, a monthly podcast from the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. Well, hello everyone, James Abbott here, and welcome to At the Foot of the Cross, which is the monthly podcast from the Secretariat of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. An important distinction that Canon Christopher Thomas, sitting opposite me, always makes. Yes, the Secretariat of the Bishops' Conference. And on that note, I'll say, hello, Canon Chris, how are you? Good morning, James. I'm fine, thank you very much. Important distinction, isn't it? It is, yes. We are not the Bishops' Conference. The (laughs) Bishops' Conference are the bishops and the members of the conference because we have some non-bishops as members of the conference like Monsignor Keith Newton and, at the moment, Canon Paul Cummins, for instance, who is the Dossus Administrator of Plymouth, as they're without a bishop. He's a full member of the conference for the time that he's looking after that diocese until a new bishop is appointed. It is an important distinction because, as it were, we're the backroom people. Mm. Uh, We're the ones who implement the pastoral activity on a national stage, international as well, uh, that the bishops actually want to engage with. Well, there's plenty of that to talk about. And this podcast for November is sneaking in right at the end of the month. I do apologise for that. It's been one of those months, busy month. Well, plenary month, hasn't it? The bishops have met up in Leeds this month as well. Yes, we always meet uh, in Leeds in November and uh, we were there for just under a week. A full agenda and getting fuller. Uh, because there's mm. lots of things that they need to speak about. One of the things that we did review, because uh, uh, you know there are always difficult things to talk about, but one of the good things that we reviewed was um, the uh, relic tour of St. Bernadette, oh, yes. uh, which was two months rem- worth. Two months worth and remarkable. Thanks to Father Dennis Tao and his team who yeah. organised it all. Spiritual benefits for all who participated, really. Um, it really was, uh, from the reports that we've received, a time of, of spiritual renewal for people. We all know about the story of Lourdes. We all know about Little Bernadette. We've all seen the film, I hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, to actually have the presence of the saint amongst us and pointing us to Our Lady, who always points to her son. That's the beauty of Our Lady, is that she never takes any glory herself. She always points us to her son. We see that from the parables, you know, do whatever he tells you, as she said at the wedding at Cana in Galilee. And so to have the the relics of the saint amongst us was a real tangible link with Our Lady Shrine in Lourdes and hopefully will encourage people to go back to Lourdes. We have a huge tradition in England and Wales of large diocesan pilgrimages going every summer. It's always a lovely thing to go out to Lourdes and meet up with people from other dioceses who are there always at the same time as you. And I think that if there's one thing that could come from not only the spiritual benefit of, of this pilgrimage, of deepening our, our devotion to our Lord and to our through Our Lady, but also to remember to go to Lourdes, to go and to pray there as Our Lady asked the people of God to do. Yeah, and we, we were talking about those important distinctions as we did at the head of the podcast there. We're always talking about conduits to our Lord, aren't we? Yes. Rather than praying to and, you know, deifying. We, yes. we get all these little criticisms, but these re- yeah. really we're finding our pathway to the Lord. Aren't That's we? right. I mean, I always used to say when I used to baptise children in my parish, uh, I used to point out all the statues we had in the church of, of the saints. And I said, these are like photographs. I mean, when you have a photograph, a photograph doesn't just tell you. I th- I'm thinking now of a photograph that I've got on my mantelpiece. Uh, and that photograph is of all of the people who were ordained in my year. Ah. And it doesn't just remind me of that day, which was uh, the celebration of the first mass of my friend Father Andrew Cole, who is a parish priest of Grimsby, Cleethorpes and Immingham. It wasn't just about, about being in Milford Haven. It was about everything that went on that day. 
how I travelled down there with priests in the car, how we joked, how we had a wonderful, wonderful time. So what photographs do is they take you beyond what you see. Mm. And that's the same with statues. We see the physical representation of Our Lady. We see the physical representation of St. Bernadette in statues. But they take us to what is beyond them. What are they teaching us about the reality? And, and for Our Lady, she always points us to Our Lord. And for St. Bernadette, she pointed us to the beautiful lady who takes us to the Lord. So it's always conduits, as you say, to the Lord so that we may deepen our faith in him and to understand the incredible role of the incarnation, God sending his son to be one like us in all things but sin so that we may know the heart of God uh, and, and that revelation of the Father's love for each one of us that he brought in his ministry. And talking about those pathways to the Lord, vocation, callings, they are all us exploring our pathway to the Lord. Now, the bishops spoke about that, didn't they? They did. Um, Every November, we um, have reports from our seminaries. We have uh, St. Mary's College, Oscott in Birmingham, Allen Hall here in London. Uh, We have the Bader College in Rome, the Venerable English College in Rome, and also the Royal uh, College of St. Alban in Valladolid. And um, every year, we have a report from uh, the seminaries to talk about their work and, and what they're doing, talk about nuts and bolts, this statistics of uh, numbers of students that we have. And we also have an important report from the National Office of Vocation, Sister Elaine Penrice and her team, who do immense work in promoting vocations around the country. Not simply vocation to the priesthood and religious life, but for marriage. They're working closely with marriage and family life coordinators now. What they produce is a broad range of statistics that uh, give us a picture of how is vocation understood and responded to in the church in England and Wales. And we are seeing a dip. There's, yeah, there's, there's yeah. you know, we, we, it, it's there in front of us. We are, are seeing a dip in vocation. So the bishops issued a statement about the importance of the culture of vocation. And that starts in family life and then extends out into our parishes. And one of the things that I think is very, very important, and I'm very conscious of it myself uh, as, as a priest, is the role the priests play in encouraging vocations. I think if you were to talk to anybody who is a priest today, they would think of of priests who were good influences on them. And so we have to be very conscious in our own ministry of how we can be good influences on young men, on women as well who are seeking for the religious life, on how we can actually be good, good influences on them in terms of our spirituality, in terms of the way we live out our ministry, in terms of the way that we engage with people. Because at the end of the day, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, it was all about engagement with people. And we have to be confident to be able to engage in, in a suitable way to promote the gospel, to proclaim the gospel wherever we are, but also to accompany people on their journey of understanding how is this gospel speaking to them at the moment. What I would say is that the Lord has not stopped calling, but he's calling into a very busy world. I'm not a digital native, I believe is the terminology. Good I'm, phrase. I, I'm, 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 I'm a digital traveller, I believe, which is somebody who's not rooted in the digital world because I've had to learn a lot about it. But when you send a text message or a WhatsApp, you're waiting for the blue tick or the three dots mm-hmm. uh, that somebody's going to respond to you. Now, God doesn't work on that sort of time frame. You know, what God works on is his own time frame. And sometimes, and I'm thinking particularly of a man I know at the moment who is in training, who I've known for a very, very long time, But he only went to seminary uh, two years ago. But I've known him since I was chaplain at Nottingham University. I saw the seeds of a vocation there. But as when I talked to him um, back uh, earlier in the year, he said, I wasn't ready. And that's fine. And, you know, we have to make sure, especially uh, that, that we aren't like barracudas circling a fish. 
when it comes to somebody who may have an interest in the vocation. We have to be, we have to have gentle accompaniment. And this word accompaniment comes up time and time again in the pontificate of our Holy Father, Pope Francis. He wants people to walk alongside them so that they've got somebody to turn to. I remember my own spiritual director, a wonderful monk who died this year, bless him. His name was Father Vincent Tobin of the Archabbey of St. Meinrad in uh, America. And he said that the spiritual director is somebody who knows you well enough that when you fall or have a difficulty, he simply will be there to pick you up and to walk with you on the right path. That's the key of accompaniment. Coming back to John Henry Newman, St. John Henry Newman, heart speaking to heart. You know, my heart has to speak to the person's heart who I'm walking with so that we know each other well enough to help each other on that journey. What I'm concerned about is creating space because, as I said, the Lord hasn't stopped calling people, but the world is noisy. We're busy. We're always engaged in something. And that space to simply sit and just be with the Lord is becoming premium. And so if we as priests can really create spaces for people just to sit and be with the Lord, it doesn't have to be in a church, you know, just telling people, find that space. And the good thing about it is that if you give five minutes and you do it regularly and you're persistent and it becomes a habit in prayer, the Lord will make it six, will make it eight, will make it ten, because the Lord always graces what you give him in sacrifice. That's so well put. And, you know, I can relate to that because I was going to Mass as a non-Catholic probably for 10 years. You know, no problem at all with it. Good principles, kids being brought up in the right way. Love thy neighbour. No problem at all. But I wasn't ready. 10 years it took me before I got the shove over the line and haven't looked back. And that was actually, you know what, you talk about sitting and being in the presence of the Lord. It was somebody taking me for for a period of adoration, which I kind of thought was a bit nuts. But at the same time, I went with it and I was profoundly moved. And that actually was just the start of quite a long um, journey, I must say. But, you know, adoration is important. Speaking to people who I've accompanied through RCIA and parish work, adoration is really important because there are no words. And when we go to Mass and you're not familiar with it, you know, all these people around you are saying things that they seem to know off by heart. And they do. In the right order. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and, and you're sort of, you know, I mean, I, I remember myself when I, because I, I, as you know, I, I'm a convert to Catholicism. You know, I can remember myself when I first went to Mass. It all seemed a little bit strange. But adoration is completely different because you can sit there. You can switch off the mental faculty and just experience love. And mm. that's what draws us. That's the encounter. And if we can experience that love and then reflect it in our own lives with those who we meet, then we're on that journey. And to be honest, that's what I think the, the bishops are really getting at is that, you know, the culture of vocation is not about seeking people and, and pestering them. It's about this gentle accompaniment. It's about giving the opportunities for people to know that if they wish to make a positive move forward in this direction, that they're not going to be put into shackles and run off to the seminary but they're actually just going to be encouraged to think to pray to talk to explore and if we do that in our families with the life of prayer in families uh, and then out into our parish communities into our chaplaincies I was a university chaplain you know for, for many years at Nottingham University and and the number of people who worked with their vocation uh, was was a real joy and I always found it a real joy to work with them oh absolutely now talking about that calmness that sitting in the presence of the lord it's that time of year 
I would say Happy New Year to you in a way, because it is the start of our our new year. Yes, and not only the start of our new liturgical year, but also a start of the new three-year cycle that we have in our liturgy. Um, So we begin the year of Matthew, year A. Matthew is a very rich gospel, very different from Luke, which we've just read. Luke is a great storyteller. Luke is the man of great divine reversal, how God is going to switch things around from the way of the world. Whereas Matthew is writing for a convert Jewish community. And so what we hear with Matthew are two really important things. And if if people can think about this when they're listening to the liturgical readings this year, Matthew always portrays Jesus as the greater Moses. And he always refers back to Jesus as the fulfillment of prophecy. And so that's why in the readings that we hear, there are so many uses of prophecy in the Gospel of Matthew. So looking forward to to Christmas, when we look at the birth of Jesus, uh, we have the prophecy of Matthew, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. And he uses this wonderful phrase, now all this took place to fulfill the words spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And as the prophet wrote, You, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you will come a leader who will shepherd your people Israel. And then when you come on to John the Baptist, he says, this was the man that the prophet Isaiah spoke about when he said, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, make his path straight. So you have all of these return and this echoing of the prophecy Mm. because Jesus is seen as the fulfillment of prophecy. So Advent for us this year is a new beginning, a new beginning because we start the Gospel of Matthew, a new beginning because we start the three-year cycle. But Advent in itself, thinking about the readings for Advent Sunday, Advent itself is is a time when we think of uh, our readiness to receive the Lord. And I want to think of this in in a strange way. So just three moments. So the first is to think about the coming of the Lord in glory. And that's where we have the gospel for this Sunday, this Advent Sunday. Um, Stand erect, hold your head high. You don't know whether, you know, two two men ploughing in the field, one is taken, one is left. Two women grinding at the of the corn, one is taken, one is left. We don't know when this is going to occur. So we have to be ready for it. So there's the sense of that ultimate coming of the Lord in glory. But how do we prepare for that moment? Well, we prepare for it on a daily basis. And so I want to think of this moment now or the time that we're living in now, which is also a preparedness. And where do we prepare? We prepare for the Lord coming to us in our prayer every day. We prepare for the Lord coming to us when we celebrate the sacraments. Truly, the Lord comes to us in the Eucharist when uh, we gather as a church to pray and the priest offers the sacrifice of Christ in bread and wine, which become for us the body and blood, the soul and divinity of our Lord. And we are nourished for that pilgrimage from now to then. So there's the daily encounter and therefore our preparedness for the Lord. But then as we get to the back end of Advent, we begin to think of our preparedness for the celebration of the Lord already having come in the incarnation when the Lord came in as a child. And one of the things I always think about, whenever we say the creed, you know, through him everything was made. And yet, when the Lord came amongst us, he didn't come as a knight on a white charger. He came as a baby, And we all know what babies are like. They are totally (laughs) dependent on their mother and their father. So we have the one through whom all things were made being totally dependent on the creature. As he lay in his manger and Mary and Joseph gazed upon him in love, he was totally dependent on them. Now, if God puts his trust in the creature, can we not put our trust in him? And so that's why our preparedness, our being ready, 
in terms of that daily encounter to grow deeper in love of him so that we can be more loving in the world, which will take us to that ultimate coming where, yes, he will come and we will be judged on our actions. What he wants to see in us is well done, good and faithful servant. And our hearts will melt when that happens because we will see him for who he truly is. But we'll also see in our lives those moments where we could have done better, when we could have loved more, when we turned away from love. It will be sadness in us. And that's a sort of purgation. That's a sort of purifying. But then we enter into the fullness of glory. So for us, Advent, is the, I think, is always a three-stage thing. So we look forward to the Lord coming in glory. Stand erect, hold your head high. There's the middle stage, which is our daily encounter with the Lord, through our prayer, through the sacraments, through the, the encounter with him in the read, prayerful reading of the scriptures. And then at the end of Advent, we turn our minds to the celebration of the incarnation when he came amongst us and revealed in his ministry that loving heart of the Father. Oh, what a wonderful commission to us for, for this period. And of course, we will try and chisel back the podcast to the middle of December, so we're not right at the end of December, so we can catch up on that. And, and hopefully we've got plenty to look forward to. Now, Bishop Paul Swarbrick, Bishop of Lancaster, he'll give us a nice little reflection on Advent for this podcast as well, because during that time up at Hinsley Hall, I was able to have a little stroll around. There's not much time, is there, ever? No. <laughs> but I, I did find five or six minutes to just stroll around the grounds out in the cold, which was nice, actually, and had a good chat with with uh, Bishop Paul, so he'll give us a little Advent reflection a little later on. I should say, though, talking about those three stages of Advent, we are going to talk about the O Antiphons, aren't we, as well? Yes, that, that's right. Just at the end of Advent, from the 17th of December onwards, there are seven O Antiphons which are used in the liturgy. And these, these are coming back to the Old Testament images. These are images from the Old Testament of God's intervention and so hopefully we will be able to give a little reflection for each day, just a little thought for the day, two minutes, about each of the O antiphons from the 17th of December to Christmas. And they're lovely reflections. For me, my favourite one is O Oriens, which is O Daystar, because it's a reminder in the darkness of this world. I mean, when I got up this morning, it was dark. When I went to bed last night, it was, well, it was dark at four o'clock here in London yesterday. <laughs> the light is at a premium. And the light is, is really important. But he is the day star. You know, we say in the creed, light from light, you know. And, and so, you know, it's a reminder to us that the coming of Christ is going to enlighten our world in such a way that we will be able to reflect that light in our lives. And there's a lovely little thing about, about it, which I'll say now, is um, if you take all of the first letters of the O antiphons, what you actually get is a little acrostic, which spells out, if you go backwards, ero crass which means tomorrow I will be here. Oh, brilliant. Well, I'm really looking forward to recording those with you. That will be excellent. Now, before I let you go, there is one piece of news that uh, piqued my interest. We have a new bishop. We do, yes. An auxiliary for Southwark. Indeed. Bishop-elect Philip Moger uh, has been appointed by His Holiness Pope Francis to assist Archbishop Wilson in the ministry of uh, shepherding the people of Southwark, which is great. And uh, I know that uh, Archbishop Wilson has been uh, without an auxiliary for some time because uh, he has Bishop Hendricks, who, who works mm. in the Kent region. but uh, um, Not a lot for a huge diocese. No, no. And Bishop Pat Lynch retired, of course, because uh, he retired some time ago. So um, he's been a little bit short-staffed, as it were. So we're, we're delighted 
reported that uh, Bishop-elect Philip Moja is coming to minister here in London. He's a man of great experience, over 40 years a priest. I knew him, first of all, when he was the vocations director for the Leeds Diocese, when I was a seminarian and he was a frequent visitor to our college mm. uh, to make sure that the Leeds students there were uh, were settling well and doing well in their studies. But uh, uh, I was in Walsingham uh, where he's working now. He's been the rector of Our, Our Lady Shrine there for the last few years. I was in Walsingham uh, um, last year and um, I had a good time with him and we talked a lot about the shrine and uh, the importance of the shrine in the life of the church here in England and Wales. And he will bring many spiritual gifts, many practical talents to that role. Brilliant. Well, I'm hoping we'll hear from him later in this very podcast, but that is excellent news. Well, for now, Canon Christopher Thomas, thank you ever so much. It's, it's been nice to have a bit of a spiritual podcast, isn't it? Well, I, talking I, about the Lord. I know. It's, it's, well, <laughs> he, he has to be the centre of all that we do, because if we're, if we're going in our own path and we're not going in his, then we're not doing his work. So, uh, so it's always good to speak about him. Very well said. Thanks very much. Thanks, James. At the foot of the cross a monthly podcast from the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. A very big thank you to Canon Christopher Thomas. I always appreciate his wisdom and insight into our faith. Well, there's plenty more to come on At the Foot of the Cross, so why don't we hear from the man who has just been announced as a new auxiliary bishop for the Archdiocese of Southwark, Monsignor Philip Moger. Firstly, it was a great surprise to be asked to be a bishop anywhere. That was the first thing. It's a very humbling experience because to become a bishop is a great thing. It's a, it's a huge responsibility, even as an auxiliary bishop. To know that I was being appointed to Southwark to be auxiliary to Archbishop John Wilson was a delight because we have known each other for a long time. I've known him before he went to seminary. We are both the Diocese of Leeds. That's two of us in Southwark from Leeds. It's a very humbling experience to be asked and also very joyful. For the last two years, I've been working in Walsingham as the rector of the National Shrine. So I've already moved temporarily away from Yorkshire. You know, people are the same everywhere. The gospel needs to be preached. People's faith needs to be confirmed, whether that's in, in Leeds or in Kent, or in South London. I bring who I am, and uh, I hope I can work well with people in the South of London, whoever they are, whatever their backgrounds, whatever their needs, whatever their strengths. Walsingham is a great place to be, and of course, because Our Lady is very present there, it's a place of great peace, as well as activity. It's a place of great inspiration. Many thousands of pilgrims come there, especially after COVID has finished, people feel happier traveling. It's a place where they, they try to learn how to say yes to God. So the whole message of the Annunciation is Our Lady's openness to God's will. And of course, if you're the rector there, this is something you're encouraging people to think about all the time. So when God intervenes in your life, my life, and asks you to do something completely different and new, it's very difficult to say no. Archdiocese of Sadok is quite vibrant. It's lots of people, different ethnic chaplaincy, community, different people. So what is your message for the people in this diocese when you come as a new bishop? Well, the message is that Christ 
became for all people that the church is truly Catholic when all of us, whatever our age, whatever our background, whatever our skills, whatever our abilities, when we are sharing those for the building up of God's kingdom and the building up of each other as members of Christ Church, Christian community. Hear, hear. Our thoughts and prayers, of course, go with Monsignor Philip Moja as he prepares to take on this vital ministry in the Archdiocese of Southwark. Now, a little earlier, when I was talking about Advent with Canon Christopher Thomas, I promised you a reflection from the Bishop of Lancaster on this wonderful season of preparation for the coming of Christ at Christmas. Have a listen to this chat with Bishop Paul Swarbrick, recorded in mid-November up in Leeds. Well, on November's podcast, it seems a good time to talk about Advent. And I'm joined by Bishop Paul Swarbrick, Bishop of Lancaster, and we are strolling the grounds of Hinsley Hall, where, as bishops, you're meeting in plenary. Yes, we are. We came here uh, Sunday evening and we'll be here until Thursday afternoon. Now, I wanted to talk about Advent. Help focus us a bit here. What, what should we be focusing on at this time of year? I think the, the gift of God's love is the absolute focus. It's the, it's the heart of the whole of scriptures. It's the gift of Jesus, the word made flesh. It's the demonstration of that love in its absolute form in the sacrifice of the cross. And uh, the Father's intention to honour his promise by the resurrection of Christ. And then the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it's all, it's a deal we can't afford to miss out on really. Advent is a time of renewing and reminding ourselves that that gift is still there. And it is a time of year where obviously some people find it rather difficult and maybe this year are going to find it an awful lot more difficult because of the cost of living crisis. Yes, yes, that is true. I think we can never close our eyes to the reality of life and that many, many people are in, in dire circumstances. Many more are sort of facing difficult days ahead. But in some ways I think that that isn't a reason for losing sight of the uh, of the presence of God who comes into the reality of this world not into some sort of make-believe not into some sort of um, don't worry it'll all be all right in heaven and I think that's one of the gifts of the church that we don't wait till heaven we we're active now we try to live make charity real after the example of Christ And I think as well that sometimes the difficulties can blind us to the goodness that is still all around us. There's a friend of mine who who fell off a crag in the Lake District and and died on the Kirkston Pass. And every time I go past that place now, I'm reminded of his death. But the Lake District is still a very beautiful place. Sometimes it's it's hard to, to walk our Christian path, isn't it? There are, there are things that we have to be brave about, things that we have to stand up for, um, irrespective of how we're feeling. Yes, that's true. It, it can be very difficult. But again, we have the example of, of key people who have shown us how in our difficulties we can we can choose a better way. We may feel in some ways that my contribution, my little effort, isn't up to much, doesn't make any difference, but in fact it does. The smallest gestures of kindness and goodness and and generosity to others can make a huge difference in individuals' lives. You make me think, actually, that I did read something a little earlier about the need to be 
perhaps a bit judicious with Christmas presents yeah. this time yeah. round, and maybe we can give something else actually, other than you know get wrapped up literally in in presents. Yeah, the 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 the, the Christmas presents and g- glitter and tinsel culture. I don't want to be a you know a bit of a Scrooge and spoil Christmas, etc. But it's a it's a sometimes the secular world, you know, there's a desperation in it all, which which I think sort of robs us of the deeper experience of just ultimately Christmas, you know, the gift of God's son, the gift of this child who came as an extra mouth to feed when he needed to be carried and fed and cleaned and all that kept safe. That's the form that God has come to us in. That's the, that's the way he's given us eternal love. So perhaps... You know, a simplifying of, of life, a simplifying even of our sort of material expectations. Is it somewhat mind-blowing that God came to us in that rather vulnerable way? I think it is. I think it is. When he was looking for a way to reach out to us, to put right the, the what had gone wrong, you know, early in creation. It's an astounding way of doing it, really. Yeah. It's a unique way in all the religions of the world. I think to take this form and put himself in our hands what a risk and you think of sort of um you know i read somewhere that churches can be sort of not just beacons of light in that sense but beacons of warmth and possibly when people are feeling a little bit vulnerable themselves maybe it's good to just sit in front of the lord at this time of year it's always good to do that it's always good to find his presence. Um, whether our churches will be able to remain warm or not remains to be seen. Yeah, true. But uh, always to come before the Lord regularly. And as we were hearing from Archbishop John Wilson just then, uh, his advice, pray as you can, not as you can't. Solid, you know? isn't it? Solid yeah, it is. Was his expect from a Yorkshire <laughs> prelate. Yeah. And... Um, what would your message be at this time of year? I mean, I would say to Catholics, but possibly to those who aren't believers either, because this is one of those few times in the year where people do look a little to Christ, even if they don't fully know it. Yeah. I think he, his hidden years are, are key for us. That, that you know, We celebrate the, the gift of Christmas on the 25th of December, not knowing when the actual date of his birth was, of course. Mm. But for nine months before that, Mary had carried him in her womb uh, so the, 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 the gift had already been given Yeah, it just hadn't been unwrapped so to speak and I think that in all the complexities of our life I love to try and see our faith our religion uh, in, in a, a simpler way Yeah, uh, as, and, and as a Catholic I know there's, there's immense complexities that we seem to be good at creating but I think we need to dig down and, and just realise the simplicity of God wanting to love us and looking for us just to just to notice him. And I think the thing that helps me is that before ever I have to do anything else, it's, it's a matter of realising what he has done for us. Yeah. You know, as Mary says, the Almighty works marvels for me, holy his name. It's, it's from what, what he's done for us that I then try and live my my faith whatever little I can do the starting point is what what God's done for us Bishop Paul thank you very much yes indeed thanks very much Bishop Paul Swarbrick
Well, that's just about it for November's podcast. Profound apologies for releasing it on the very last day of the month. I promise I'll get the December podcast to you well before Christmas. It just remains for me to say thanks so much for listening, and I really do hope you're able to get a little bit of space around all the trials and tribulations and challenges of these times in order to focus on the Lord at this really important time of year. Until next time, bye for now.